0: Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 200. Wow, I can't believe I'm saying that. It's been almost four years since we started the podcast, and it's been an absolute privilege to bring in the coolest guests in the coolest places. We've had scientists, engineers, and astronauts in space and on the ground. We've had authors historians, program leaders, military leaders, filmmakers. We hosted panels, we did some live stage shows, televised shows, conferences. We joined up with other podcasts. And I think most of all, in each of these instances, we got to sit down and dive deep into unique and interesting topics. So we had to do something special for the 200th episode of Houston We Have a Podcast. I sat down with the team and we thought it would be fun to bring back Dan Hewitt, public affairs officer from episode one. He also hosted a few episodes of this podcast. Since we last had Dan on, he sort of led the charge in part for constructing the new layout for what you see on NASA TV for the commercial crew missions, the latest of which include the SpaceX crewed missions and the award-winning SpaceX demo one broadcast, the uncrewed mission. We streamed the recording live to Facebook so we can discuss some of his work. Uh, to make that happen, well, we took some questions live, had some polls, and we talked about the podcast too. So in case you missed it, Here's the 200th episode of Houston We Have a Podcast. Enjoy. E minus five seconds County. Mark,
1: as you start, E zero,
0: almost mid-light circle. There she goes. Houston We Have a Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for a live episode of Houston. We have a podcast on NASA's Gary Jordan. We're getting together in front of the cameras this time to record this episode live because it is our 200th episode. Of Houston we have a podcast so we thought we'd do something special we're gonna make this interactive we're gonna take some questions we were looking for some special guests to get on our show uh, none of them were available so we do have Dan Hewitt here uh, as our special guest today Dan thanks for joining yeah like I said it's, a, it's always great to be at the bottom of the barrel so <laughs> thanks for letting me back in Gary we actually did really want you to uh, to come on this show because you kicked us off with episode one and uh, today's episode theme is going to be talking about what you have been doing since. You've been doing a lot of work with NASA TV and building up the mission coverage for commercial crew. So we're going to learn a, bit, a little bit about that. We'll talk about the podcast, and, of course, we'll be answering your questions live. Just comment uh, right below on the Facebook live stream. So let's get right into it, Dan. Uh, the first question I have is last time we had you on the show as a guest was four years ago. You were the International Space Station Public Affairs Officer. Yeah. What have you been up to since?
1: It's funny. I mean, we recorded episode one like ten feet over there, yeah. just sitting at a table, <laughs> thinking, "Hey, let's try it. If if it if it sounds terrible, we just won't put it out." But here we are, two hundred episodes later. That's and, right. You know, you and the whole team. Wow. Thanks. Uh, but yeah, back then I was I was the PAO or the Public Affairs Officer for Space Station and. Still do a lot of work with Space Station, but it's expanded. I work, I get to work with you every day now mm-hmm. on everything Space Station. We have Leah Cheshire, uh, people who have watched NASA TV have definitely seen her, and we cover kind of everything happening here at JSC with Space Station and Commercial Crew, uh, Commercial the Commercial Crew program. Um, if you followed human spaceflight at all, you're very aware of it. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've been working, and just last year. Uh, started flying humans from america again for the first time since the end of the shuttle so really just diving in head first into all of that i mean it's a big team at nasa that works on that here in houston Mm -hmm. teams in florida uh people up at nasa headquarters in washington
0: but that's pretty much eaten my lunch for the last couple of years (laughs) well that's really what i want to get into is describing all that work that you've been doing um, really, NASA TV, if you're looking at the mission coverage, it looks very different from how we've done it historically. But I want to start there. I want to start with understanding just how we've done it in the past and how it is different. So take us through what NASA TV and our mission coverage used to look like. Yeah, Na- I mean, NASA TV has been around
1: forever, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, every, every NASA mission uh, we have covered live in some manner for the public. And I mean, uh, I showed up at the very end of shuttle, And by that point they'd been flying shuttle for about 30 years it was a pretty well oiled machine you got wall-to-wall coverage for weeks at a time during shuttle missions Um, so it was definitely pretty exhaustive uh, for for trying to just cover every moment of a mission Um, but it was i mean you were you were in the very early stages of high definition television at that point really becoming widespread uh, and social media was still pretty fledgling. So that wasn't a huge part of, of the live coverage yet. Hmm. And I mean, just think about all of the ways in the last 10 years we've developed just to talk to people and it's, it's been, how can we try to work that into every kind of facet of covering human spaceflight. And that's what we've been doing just gradually over the years, because I mean, we're still covering the space station. People are still flying 24 hours a day. Um. So we still have we still have a job to do to cover that, but uh, transitioning from shuttle, which we ended up taking a lot of those lessons in terms of you know how did we cover it when people were launching from here? Just because I mean for us in the U.S. we know there's always going to be more interest when they're launching from Florida. Yeah, and so it was just getting ready for kind of that crush of attention that you hadn't really had except for a couple of moments since the end of the shuttle program.
0: Hmm. Did So I, I came into NASA after shuttle. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see a shuttle launch. I didn't get to work a shuttle mission. For those that got to do it, what was that like? What were, you know, if you were doing commentary, if you were working a broadcast, what was that like?
1: Yeah, I, as I said, I came in at the very end. Yeah. I started, I was a, was a student like you and yeah. did the did the internship. Uh, and then I started full time the month before the final shuttle mission launched. So I got to I got to see some of what they were doing, and uh, it would be you know wall to wall coverage with a bunch of kind of the the traditional at the desk briefings uh, built in as well, uh, and then you're doing press releases and stuff like that. But in terms of just like the television coverage, it, it would start a couple hours before launch. You would have team at kennedy covering everything and pretty much just one person here in houston who would then be ready to provide what we call the ascent coverage so after it launches Mm -hmm. um and you would usually only have one or two people at kennedy providing all of that kind of that pre-launch countdown and everything Mm -hmm. and there were a couple of beats that you would always try to show which really helped guide what we ended up doing with commercial crew where you get to see the crew suit up, you know the iconic getting in the orange suits and those big leather chairs, walking <laughs> to the elevator, coming out of the doors. That stuff that, you know, people, if you th- if you thought about, you know, humans launching from Florida, those are the images that usually popped into your mind, right. aside from the smoke and fire. And so that that was all covered during shuttle, and then they would lift off, and then you would be 24 hours a day for the duration of the mission. So you would have Uh, at least for us in houston you would have one person go into mission control and they'd be on about an eight to eight and a half hour shift where you're just providing coverage the whole time and so for two of those shifts the crew's awake one the crew's asleep so you can do things like interview flight controllers playback highlights things like that which again that helped to kind of really guide us what we ended up doing for commercial crew. We, we mm-hmm. were able to pick out all the stuff that worked really, really
0: well for shuttle and then build it into all the stuff we ended up doing anyways. So you got to sit in with some of those, some of those uh, broadcasts then, right? You get to kind of understand and pull into some of the knowledge of what we used to do.
1: Yeah. I got to, as, as a student, I got to sit in a couple of times. They, they are, our office is pretty good about, especially when you're a student, get you, getting you in there to kind of see, see what it's like, yeah. kind of soak up that information. And it was cool to, to sit with, I mean, the, the people that were doing it at that point. I mean, you had, everybody knows Rob Navius. He was, he was the, the ascent commentator for 135. Uh, but then, I mean, you had people in our office, um, who had been doing that for years. Um, our friend Josh, you remember him? Mm-hmm. He, I got to sit in with him a couple of times, got to sit in for like a spacewalk. Uh, and it was just really cool. And you, that was the first time I kind of got exposed to just how much you have to know to do that job to the point where, I mean, I, Rob could probably still quote a page number in a shuttle reference manual or something if I asked him a question about it, like the just the level of knowledge you had to just acquire And either know off the cuff or know exactly where to find it just to be that person who's kind of guiding the what the heck is happening right now. So that was
0: really cool. And that was definitely eye opening. (laughs) All right. Well, I want to get into how you pulled all of that knowledge and turned it into what we're seeing for commercial crew today but I do want to make sure we are doing an interactive broadcast. So we're getting questions coming in, uh, and we have Chelsea over here that's filtering some of these questions, so thanks to Chelsea. I got this first question from Calvin. Calvin is asking, what happened to the Space Station Live program for NASA TV? Now, this was a program we used to do. Um, this was this was even post-shuttle. We used to continue it on. So so what was that program, and what happened to it?
1: Yeah, we used to do that for for the Space Station, and we did it even when shuttle was flying, and we did it afterwards. We used to, so five days a week... Uh, we would do an hour-long show some eventually down to 30 minutes but when i showed up it was an hour-long show where you basically do a live update of everything happening on the station so we would do it at a point when the crew was awake and you'd replay any video from earlier in the day and show kind of the live stuff that's happening Mm -hmm. and then you could interview people and things like that um it was great on days when there was a lot happening then, I mean, we would still do it five days a week, so your crew would have an off day or the crew wouldn't have much going on. You would have no video, and the show was a little bit less interesting, to sure. say the least. So uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a great teaching tool, uh, especially for new people. Like the first time I ever, was ever doing the NASA commentary, I think you two. That's like, how I
0: learned. Yeah, it was on Space Station Live. That's yeah.
1: how we learned. It was, it was definitely a much kind of lower-risk learning than, you know, your first commentary when somebody's doing a spacewalk or something mm-hmm. um, and when I go back and listen to my early episodes I am, I was so bad. I was so bad <laughs> Me too. so it was it was good that I was you know it was, it was kind of a lower risk environment but I mean as anybody that's done live TV knows TV productions are really resource intensive mm-hmm. um, and as the years went by we realized more and more people were just consuming things on demand. And at the same time, so it fulfilled a need to uh, show people video from the space station and also just tell people what's happening. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks to social media and just the prevalence of all the different tools we have to communicate with people, you can do that just via a blog update and put out a tweet, put out a short post somewhere and then I don't need a 30-minute TV program just to get that kind of information out. And there are so many platforms for sharing video now. We just had kind of more effective ways to get that out there to people than just just a terrestrial television station. So mm-hmm. uh, we transitioned away from doing Space Station Live. Um, definitely had some, some really great qualities to it, but we just kind of made the call to go in another direction.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a more modern approach now. People are consuming more bite-sized chunks and everything. This is a really good question, Calvin. Thanks for for, uh, submitting. And and if you want to ask more questions, keep them coming. Uh, I'm going to be reading them throughout today's broadcast. I also wanted to try something. um, It's a a poll feature on Facebook Live. We're going to see if it works. If not, just please comment um, below. Uh, But I wanted to throw in some polls for the podcast itself since we both started with the podcast. So this first question is... What kind of Houston We Have a Podcast episode do you prefer? So this is one of them, right? We're on TV. We do a live broadcast. It's very similar, I think, to how we do the normal um, Houston we podcast episodes, sit down, interview. This one's about a particular topic, which is which is mission coverage, but we do all kinds of topics. Do you like those? Uh, do you like our normal interview shows? We've done panels. So you've gotten to sit with Gates McFadden at Comic Palooza. We did those live panels. I did a stage show um, with uh, another podcast. Um, Writing Excuses was the podcast I did it with. And then we've done some narrative types. So of those polls, uh, which which or of those different types of shows, which one do you like? Uh, go ahead and 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 put it in the poll feature. It seems like it's it's actually working. Yeah, I know. I mean,
1: on this side of it, the panel was a lot of fun. It was cool to have like the crowd reaction and everything. Yeah, Because normally feedback. it's just you know us sitting in a room really quiet, so we don't make <laughs> Alex mad with bad noise. <laughs> um, right. So that was really cool. And then the narrative. I think the the entire thing that Pat did um, over the over the Apollo. Uh, anniversaries and everything was just it was fascinating Mm -hmm. and it it really does give you an opportunity for just really dense content to just give it the time it deserves to like breathe that was i I really like
0: that heroes behind the heroes was that episode and it was about restoring this obsolete piece of hardware that had the ability to um, pull back some taped audio and then we were able to digitize it because it was that whole process of of recovering this piece of hardware super interesting story it's a four part series so yeah is that one of the things you like or do you like or do you like some of the other stuff or maybe a combination of, of each of these all right, getting back into the mission coverage stuff. So we, we, we were talking a little bit about the historic part of things, how we used to do the coverage. Then you get the assignment, hey, hey, Dan, we want to do something grandiose for this new uh, era in human spaceflight. We're going to be working together with commercial companies. How did you first start approaching it?
1: Yeah, and I want to make it abundantly clear, this was not just Dan doing this. This was <laughs> the work of so many people. Right. Um, so I obviously need to say that. Uh, th- but our initial thought when we were going in is we, we knew it had to be a little bit different. Well, we knew it had to be more than a little bit different. It had to be different. Uh, for shuttle, you're talking it was a NASA spacecraft, NASA astronauts, along with international partners and a couple of others, especially when we were flying to the space station. But it was very much a NASA thing. Um, we, you would find other people to bring in sometimes. But I mean, this, this was the NASA show. When it came to commercial crew we we now know we were we were going to be working with two companies spacex and boeing that they own the hardware they're flying the missions we're essentially giving them our astronauts to to bring to the space station and come home so obviously they have a humongous piece in that mm-hmm. and they have their own identities as companies they have their own priorities and so we knew that anything that we were going to do it had to be together we never wanted it to be here's the NASA show and here's the SpaceX show, or here's the NASA show and here's the Boeing show. We wanted it to be, here's the human spaceflight show. And so it was a lot of work in, in the initial years, which we had a couple of years where we knew this was, at least this is what we wanted to try and do. And Boeing and SpaceX were pretty much of the exact same mind. So mm-hmm. that made everything a whole lot easier. Um. just with everybody with that same goal we all everybody's inevitably going to have different ways to get to that goal but knowing that we have the same ultimate goal that like right there was like oh all right we're good <laughs> we're good um so we we knew that it was going to be joint we knew that you were going to have different locations involved um mm. even between the different providers uh, you have a couple of common ones like Both are launching from Kennedy, different pads, different facilities to actually launch. But we have some pretty established stuff down at KSC, the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, So we knew we were going to be able to use that. Uh, They're both going to the International Space Station. So we knew that we were going to be using mission control here in Houston. Uh, But then you have the, the kind of the one of the main separators is SpaceX controlling Dragon, everything from Hawthorne in California. Mm. Uh, and then Boeing controlling from one of the control rooms here in Houston. So that was something a little bit more we had already done. We knew how to do. The SpaceX one was just a wholly new, yeah. how the heck are we going to integrate all of these different places together? Uh, I mean, so that was a challenge, but it was a fun challenge. Uh, it, and again, it, it wasn't really difficult to get everybody on board. that this is what we wanted to go do. Um, so you got to spend way more time just solving like the technical problems and things like that. Which you had you had all those different locations, and then hey, we'll get into this. But then you had the added uh, luxury of trying to figure out how the heck are we going to get signals from all of these different landing zones? Yeah. I mean, you you drastically have drastically different return profiles. One splashes down in the ocean. One's in the middle of. One of several deserts. How the heck are we going to show people that? Because you know we're going to want to see it, and we've we found some really kind of creative ways to be able to to get views back. So it's been fun.
0: It's been fun, but it sounds like it's it's a it's a mix of challenges. You have the the piece of working with not just NASA, as you said before, it was NASA telling NASA's story. You know we're gonna we're gonna do our thing. Now you have to get other priorities in there, and then there's this whole technical challenge. We want to tell the story from front to, to end. We want to pull in all of these different locations, literally two opposite ends of the United States, yeah. put them together, including the ocean. Now we're in the ocean too, the desert. Uh, we're in all these different interesting areas. So it's a combination of these these diplomatic challenges and the technical challenges. Yeah.
1: And I mean, you, I always had more fun with the technical stuff just because trying to figure out how to get a signal from, you know, yeah. the middle, middle of the ocean or the middle of the desert. Like that was, that was really cool. And again, that's something that technology, especially over the last couple of years has, has really helped with, um, where, I mean, you have instead of having to like rent a massive satellite dish and drive it into the desert, we have mm-hmm. a pretty small pop up one that the Boeing team has that we're able to get a signal from literally the middle of nowhere <laughs> um, because that's where you want to try and land your spacecraft. Uh, and I, I just I just love what we've been able to do with with the Boeing return stuff. That's probably my favorite like aspect of going these out the missions yeah. is like going out in the desert and doing those like it's it's really cool it was really fun to develop um we did a lot of work uh you know prior to ever flying where you, you go out to the desert you kind of rehearsed landing and everything there was almost like a Mad Max vibe to it where everybody was lined up in a giant convoy and everyone's wearing big goggles and everything. Cause it was 110 degrees out and the sun was trying to destroy you. Uh, but it, it was just so much fun.
0: Didn't you go out when it was cold too? Wasn't it like super cold in the morning?
1: Yeah. OFT, oft's landing was at white sands yeah. and it's a desert. So daytime, usually a little warm nighttime, really cold. Yeah. Uh, it was a nighttime landing and, we've gone to really cold places in this job we've Mm -hmm. been to kazakhstan when it's you know snowing and everything for whatever reason that was like the coldest i've ever felt like my feet hurt the entire time but everything worked the equipment was awesome we were able to do some kind of reporter in the car in the chase vehicle heading to the landing site i remember standing outside and everybody's freezing but you you kind of saw the the capsule coming down under the parachutes and just a very like silhouette like backdropped against the night sky Mm -hmm. and you know just this roar went up of just let's go like just everybody (laughs) just so excited and like it was it was phenomenal and we were able to you know talk to some of the team members live on tv and then we got out to the landing zone and we were able to you know, show show the entire recovery, talk to some of the astronauts that were there. Sonny Williams named the spacecraft while we were out there. And it's just we're we're able to bring people in closer to a mission than I think we've ever been able to before. Yeah. And that's what's really exciting about it.
0: Well, I think people are really excited about this because I'm seeing a lot of questions coming in. Oh. So um this one, this one from George uh from Ukraine is asking about the collaboration specifically between Uh, how, how NASA works with, um, NASA TV and then SpaceX, um, well, I mean, historically I know we used to do like different broadcasts and everything. So, so how's that collaboration work? Yeah. And that,
1: I mean, that's something that evolved over time too. Um, any, anybody that follows SpaceX, you know that they, they do their, their own webcasts. Yeah. Um, and they had a, a very different style, a very different approach than what NASA did. And so it was fun to, to work with them, understand what works really well for them, share what works really well for us, and come out what I really do think was the best of both worlds with what we ended up doing with these broadcasts. Um, our work with SpaceX, it's the exact same with our work with Boeing, where it's literally you're, you're side by side in pretty much every single decision that gets made about how to, how to do these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, the SpaceX team is incredible in both their technical prowess and um, just their ability to make stuff look really compelling and mm-hmm. look really good. Um, and we get to, we get to do pretty much all that with Boeing, too. So, like, it's, it's a great place to be in. Um, yeah. They're both, and I think I already said this, with both of these companies, you're working with people, who are just giant space nerds who are just (laughs) who live and breathe it every single day yeah and so it's really easy to then work on a giant space
0: nerd show for people when you have all of that common ground between you exactly yeah um we got another one this is a technical question um from eric who's asking how do you address time delays uh in the signals coming from multiple locations
1: that's that's a good question uh because it varies kind of depending on where you are luckily most of your locations are pretty, pretty non-delayed for the most part that hmm. we don't do, we try to do as little kind of point to point to point jumping as possible. Um, and one of the things that we usually focus on is, you know, is actually kind of switching and punching the final broadcast, that's where all your sources are. So you're not, you don't have like six links in the chain to either add delay or complexity or the risk of losing a feed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't really have many delays. Um, NASA TV is not on a delay. And so you're pretty much seeing everything that we're showing you. You're seeing it the the real time that we're seeing. It. Yeah. Um, so that's going to change, though. When you start going to the moon, you'll have a little bit more delay. And then I don't know how the heck we're going to do anything from Mars with that delay <laughs> right. when people are there. Uh, that's going to be a really fun problem to try and address. We're not quite there yet. We'll think about we'll think about that in you know a little
0: while. But <laughs> we got some time. Yeah, we got some time. Good, good. Um, yeah, these questions that are coming in are awesome. I wanted to to pause and do another poll though, because uh, it seems that 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 function is working. So I'm going gonna jump back to the poll about Houston. We have a podcast. Um, how often? Do you listen to the, uh, a podcast episode? We come out every Friday. So are you a person that listens once a week? Every Friday you listen to it. Do you listen every so often? Do you only listen to episodes that sound pretty interesting to you? So if you see an episode topic, you're like, ooh, I want to do that one. Or do you want more? Do you want less? Uh, we'll put up a poll, and you can answer one of those questions. Uh, I see some more questions coming in. Leah Cheshire, that name sounds pretty unfamiliar. That name sounds... Uh feels like I've heard that it's before. A, yeah, I'm, I lost it. But yeah. she, but she's asking, um, who is your favorite podcast guest? Which I think is an unfair question because I've had so many different guests. I've had historians, I've had filmmakers, astronauts, engineers, scientists, programming. I've had a bunch of different people. Um, I always pick on, though, uh, Jennifer Ross-Nazell, who is our local historian. Um, I really enjoy working with her. She's been on the podcast a couple of times, and she's... Uh, she comes in super prepared. We did one for the Apollo anniversary, Apollo 11 anniversary, and um, she uh, put together all these different stories. I wanted to talk about some of the lesser known things, so she put a collection. She literally did a bunch of research, put a collection of the lesser known stories of Apollo of uh, that were happening around Apollo 11, and uh, that's that ended up being the episode that we put out. Um, one of my favorites to to this day, and actually it's one of our more popular episodes. Then I don't know if you have a Favorite guest. I'm like
1: sitting here typing furiously, trying to remember his name. Um, I think it was Scott Smith, but it was it was one of our nutritionists, and he talked about the nutrition, yeah. Um, just some of the different links between nutrition and just the the crazy chaos that that can play with your body that you don't even think about. I mean, everybody obviously you have to eat well here on Earth to, to expect to be healthy all the time. But when when you go into microgravity, and you get the added stresses of your body adapting to all of that, just how much bigger of a role that that plays. Mm-hmm. It was really eye, like eye opening yeah. to, to listen to all that. So that one
0: was really cool. I really enjoyed that one too. Uh, we, we got another one from Aaron Anthony, another name we definitely don't recognize. Uh, who's asking what stories we hope to tell in the next 200 episodes um i really do hope to keep this one going um one of the things i'm really looking forward to is telling is talking more about artemis big time um when we start doing moon missions we're going to start really having a better understanding of how put how all these different pieces come together and i cannot wait to do deep dives into each and every one of those intricate pieces of a moon mission i think that's gonna be so exciting yeah i'm
1: Exact same page. Yeah. And like everything Artemis over the next couple of years is just going to get cooler and cooler. Um. And we're fortunate that a bunch of it is here at JSC. Yeah. I mean, I just on another project got to meet the teams that are designing the tools for the moon missions, and oh, they're already cool. testing them in our fake moon yard uh, over over here on site. Mm-hmm. And just just knowing that that works happening right now it makes it all feel that much more real and so i can't wait until we're we're really doing yeah like you said the deep dives into into cuz i mean any a lot of space stuff is cool
0: it gets ratcheted up when it's being done on the moon yeah so. absolutely this is so awesome i want to jump back into our commercial crew topics though okay. so we were, you were talking about the um you were talking about preparing um so let's talk about now what it looks like so we've done it. We, you did all the planning. You got everyone together. You got all the technical stuff, all the bugs uh, uh, fixed. We are ready to go. If you're tuning into some of our coverage, what what can you see? All the way leading through, you know, that that moment of smoke and fire.
1: Yeah, I was going to say we still haven't fixed all the bugs. We're actively fixing bugs <laughs> even as you're watching stuff. So that never ends. Sure, but sure. It's we've we've been able to do a couple of missions now. Um, we've. We've had three crude launches within the last year, mm-hmm. which is wild to think about. Um, the the I mean the M two last year feels like ten years ago, <laughs> but I think we all aged a lot in 2020. Um, but I mean nowadays it we're we're getting to kind of a, a pretty nice cadence where we're we're never going to stop tweaking and changing things. Just as you kind of find things that work well or things that don't. Yeah. Uh, but we're in a, we're in a pretty good rhythm now. You're you're going to see. Uh, you're going to see a lot of the crew in the couple of months before we we lose access to the crew, very understandably. They have to, you know, do their final preparation for space so they don't always have time to talk to us. And so we, we have to kind of find time with them um, where we can really help people kind of get to know them. And you and the team do a great job of putting together like interviews with them and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we always try to do kind of a final, we call it a crew news conference. It's... Um, typically about a month before they actually launch. Uh, and, I mean, this is a clip from when we did the, the Crew-2 astronauts. Yeah. Uh, and this this one was, it looks like this, because in addition to kind of evolving with all the new technology, we had to do all of these first crewed missions in the midst of the pandemic so right you had to rethink how you were doing these opportunities um so i mean this it's literally them in four different offices in our building next door uh <laughs> so we could have them kind of all like on camera um make sure we weren't violating mask mandates or anything like that mm-hmm. um but we we try to get every opportunity possible to to get people to know the crew um because they they always say they're the tip of the spear but these are always incredibly interesting incredibly talented people Um, so any opportunity we can get uh, to help people know them and then we do kind of the the typical the nasa um where you're doing news conferences with managers giving people overviews of the mission Uh, and we produce a lot of like the on demand video content to help explain things and you have a huge web presence um which you do a lot and then i mean the months before it's it's basically outlining what a show is going to look like you get a basic show outline you divvy up who's going to be covering what everybody's got your kind of different jobs uh for us who are in kind of the more operational commentary role it's a lot of studying it's a (laughs) lot of going to sims with flight control teams so you know if anything bad ever happens you're prepared for it you know what's actually happening um, that part's been probably my favorite because learning, we've gotten a chance to basically learn brand new spacecraft. And along the way you get a little bit smarter about just general space operations. Uh, but the learning about brand new spaceships, like that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, and then it's just, it's working with SpaceX or Boeing, um, and the entire NASA team putting everything together, uh, maybe doing a couple of practices, and then you're off and running. Um, I mean, for us, uh, the SpaceX ones are fun. We get to do them uh, from SpaceX headquarters in Hawthorne. Uh, so this, I mean, this is Leah and Jesse. Uh, I'm guessing maybe this was Crew-1. I'm not sure. I think it was, yeah. I think this was Crew-1. Uh, they, yeah, they were on for the Crew-1 launch. Um, and we do that because that's where the mission's controlled from right behind them. That's, that's Hawthorne mission control. That's where the SpaceX flight controllers are. Oh, and right on cue. There it is. (laughs) Uh, that's where the mission's controlled from. And that's been kind of one of the, the driving philosophies that we've always had with mission coverage is you, if you're going to really deliver the best information, the most up-to-date information, you need to be where all of that's being listened to. All of that's being decided, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why for the SpaceX ones you see us out there in Hawthorne a lot. Uh, for the Boeing ones, we're here in Houston because this is this is where Starliner is being commanded and flown, monitored, and everything. Um, so we get to travel around a little bit for both of them. Uh, but the 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 again, the, like the end goal of all of them is. Uh, it's not just a NASA show. It's not just a SpaceX. It's not just a Boeing show. It's the human spaceflight show. So we're, we're always wanting to be side by side, talking about the mission together um, because it is our mission. It's our joint mission together.
0: Yeah. You know what's cool is um, when we did this for the first time, you were you were over there. You were where, where Leah was, standing as, as the NASA person for for Demo 2. Um, we got to experience a little bit with, with demo one as well. So all this hard work that you're talking about got put into demo one. Demo one, didn't you win like an Emmy or something like that? Nah.
1: <laughs> what was it? Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> Yeah. We we won the the Emmy for demo one, um, which that one was a blast because that was that was the first one. That was the first joint coverage that yeah. we did. Uh, and I was fortunate to be the one that got to go out to SpaceX and do that. Um one of my most vivid memories from that was, and anybody that's watched a SpaceX broadcast, you know that they usually will have a, a big group of their their employees that gather around Mission Control to watch hmm. and can get pretty enthusiastic. And we did demo one from kind of literally right in front. And so we were just in a big crowd of people. And Aside from actually watching a rocket launch, that was easily like the most hype I've ever been in a moment. (laughs) But at the same time, it was really cool. But all that was going through my head is I can't hear a single thing that's happening. Oh, yeah. And so that was one of the things we learned was, all right, well, once we put people in, the stakes are way up. And if something were to go wrong, we need to be able to hear it and we need to know what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so we adjust a little bit and you see us kind of up on their their mezzanine now um, where you can you can definitely hear. And that's that's one thing that a lot of people might not always understand is anytime you see us talking on the air we're listening to usually three or four different conversations in our ears. So you might have your TV producer talking to you. You're listening to flight control loops. You're listening to any of the conversations between the crew and the ground. So you're, you're kind of juggling a lot of different things. Yeah. So if you ever see us suddenly go like completely stone face and stop talking mid sentence, we're probably listening to something very actively. We try not to, uh, but we try not to just go stone face. But uh, we we're always listening.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Now we're getting a sense of, especially from the commentators' perspective, what we're doing on camera. We're we're all in these different places. We're representing different centers. We're together in 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 Hawthorne and in uh, in the Kennedy Space Center and everything. You're showing this this collaboration. What's happening from the behind the scenes, from the production rooms? About the you know who's executing the show, saying cut here, it's, do this. Yeah,
1: and that's those are easily the people that have to do the most work. Yeah. Um, because again, you're, you're tying in broadcast locations from around the country, sometimes from extremely remote areas. With us, we're taking in feeds from outer space. <laughs> um, and so the amount of technical coordination goes in is nothing short of enormous. And again, we're blessed to have just an incredibly dedicated team at NASA. Uh, and then we get to work with an equally dedicated and skilled team at SpaceX and at Boeing um, where it's it's a lot of we get the question how the how do we do this? question mark, question mark, question mark and you know people don't ever go we can't do that. they immediately think of new solutions and sometimes it's, It's patchwork last minute, you know, this feed just went down completely. How the heck do we do this now? Mm -hmm. And somehow we always find a way. Um, So we have an incredibly talented group of people that are able to do that. Camera operators, especially uh, everyone knows they're the true heroes. (laughs) But, um, but, and it's, and it's, it's a lot too, because again, you're, you're bouncing between different areas. Uh, You have, a mix of live video, the pre-launch show has packages and is just timed out to a T. And then every single time we time it out to a T, we get into the real thing mm-hmm. and it gets thrown completely off script and you're you're just adjusting in real time. And I mean,
0: the, the end product is always something that we're proud of. That's uh, as I think is, uh, is another key piece right there was, all, you have all of these different pieces coming together. You have the technical coordination, everybody's gotta be studied, they gotta be ready. But at any moment, you can take all of this planning that you've done, and you just have to throw it out the window. Oh, yeah. Because we have to stick with the story that's being told. If something's going differently from how we're predicting it's going to go, we have to stick with it. And in in the moment we do it, in the aftermath, you think, man, we spent
1: six months putting that piece together on this. <laughs> yeah. And then... You know, Crew-1, they had to reopen the hatch, so we had to follow that before before they left off. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you had big chunks of your your planned show that you're like, oh, nope, nope, nope. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's just the reality of, of live TV. Right. You, you get to Audible in real time. Um, but, again, that's where NASA has a lot of experience kind of doing that. We, we've been doing live mission coverage for decades, um, and we've been lucky to attract a lot of people that, come in and come in with that very diverse skill set and mm-hmm. that adaptability um i mean it definitely sucks in the moment to to go on uh, sorry interviewer who's been standing or interviewee that's been standing there for an hour um we're skipping you yes but sometimes it happens
0: my favorite moment though is um launch you, you put all this work together right and and a lot of times when we come on we're on, you know, we've done all the rehearsals, we've studied, we've done the Sims, we've practiced contingency scenarios. And, we, and even at the time of launch, we've been on for hours. And then that moment comes where everything, everything's working and we get to see this thing lift off. And as you said, you got to hear cheers behind you during this moment. And uh, I, I, I got to hear it too. Um, I got to be a part of it. And it's just, you have the, your heart's pumping during this moment uh, when you're seeing this and you're just, you're watching it But you're actively thinking about and listening to everything that's going on. I have something I want to say, but I'm actively listening. They're pitching down range. Vehicle is stable and nominal. I'm listening to all of that as it's going through. Just making sure that the story that we're telling real time, as my heart is racing, is is the accurate story that we're telling.
1: Yeah, it's... And the, the crew launches, I mean, the way that we do them, you, you start your show, like you said, we're on for hours. Yeah. So we start the show, I think, about four hours before launch, because that's when the crew is starting to get suited up and everything. And it's it's tough to because, you know, you know that this is the day that I'm going to go and, you know, we're going to launch. We're going to do everything. And then you start and the adrenaline hits right as you start the show. And then you sit down for an hour. And then you have another couple of minutes and then you sit down for an hour. Right. And so, and then once you get really into kind of that final 30 minutes is when it all like it all hits Mm -hmm. and it all really starts to feel real. And you're going back through everything in your head and you're, and you're praying that the weather doesn't turn. I still remember the second attempt on DM2 where we all showed up after scrubbing the first day and like, there's no way we're going to go today. And then, Like an hour before launch, like the skies opened up and it's like, oh, no, we're actually doing this. (laughs) I actually have to do this now. Yeah. Um, And you go through the full gamut of emotions where, I mean, it's always a little bit scary. Uh, It's really exciting. Yeah, your heart's going. But fortunately, I think we do a pretty good job of just kind of preparing people. Mm -hmm. Um, So. I I end up like not remembering a lot of it like after after the ascent, like you kind of have to go back and and watch again because it is just something like you're so in the moment um but it's it's really exciting
0: yeah um i know all the astronauts whenever we we get to talk to them i I, just recently when i interviewed uh shane kimbrough i said what's what's going to be your favorite part of the mission he says returning home because that's the end of the mission, right? And so um, even there, you said there was challenges, technical challenges. You said earlier, you said we'll talk about them later. But the challenges specifically for, I mean, we talked a little bit about the desert. You said how fun that was for Boeing missions, for SpaceX missions, when you're landing in the ocean, that presents a whole different type of technical challenge. Yeah, when,
1: when it comes to you know what was hard technically, the, the return stuff is probably the hardest at least just from everything that I was involved in, because it hmm. was a lot of your, you're basically starting from scratch. Um, with launch, you we already have so much infrastructure for covering the launch just because we've been doing it for a very long time. And then with these shows, you had two companies, two spacecraft landing in two completely different environments, one in the ocean off the coast of Florida, and then one at one of several deserts. And so it's, it's still in this day and age, not easy to get a video signal. It's doable, but it's not easy to get a video signal, let alone something really high def and pretty um, from somewhere that's so remote where you're almost entirely relying on a satellite uplink capability, which anybody who's ever used a sat phone or tried to set up their own kind of broadcast, it can be pretty finicky. Sure. And if it stops working all of a sudden you're out of options. Um, But it's, it's been fun to kind of to, to figure those out uh, with the SpaceX ones. We've got like an uplink that we're able to use um, for a bunch of the missions. We've also used uh, the, the WB-57. It's NASA's high altitude research plane mm-hmm. uh, to get some of the, the parachute events and everything. But I mean, it's it's worth it when you see that on your screen and such a good the shot capsules coming down and you see four good shoots or and splashing down in the water. Um, so we've, we've got some pretty great capability now. And again, there's, there's a team at Kennedy, uh, a guy by the name of Mike Downs and his whole group who've done just phenomenal work to be able to get that signal out, uh, from the SpaceX splashdowns. And then the Boeing ones, which again, those are probably my favorite part that we do right now, just right. because when you're on the boat, you're a lot more space and personnel limited, Um, so that's one thing that landing in the desert helps just like from purely showing people the mission um, we have a little bit more capability where and one of my favorite things about the the Boeing ones is we're actually part of the operational team for this we go out and set up a camera that provides situational awareness the entire landing zone back to the flight control team and mission control so we're right in there with the convoy Uh, we're able to get everything set up and again it's there's was a Boeing guy by the name of Tom Rule, who kind of is the the godfather of all of that that hardware <laughs> that goes out there. And him and his him and his guys and girls are just wizards at at being able to get us as many different options as possible. And we're we're able to bring people. Just you're you're embedded inside the team that's bringing them out, mm-hmm. bring you right up to the hatch uh, when we start taking crew members out and everything. And it's really fun. Um, and They've they've got really cool solutions to get video back from there over here to Houston, mm-hmm. uh, where we're able to to mix it in and punch it out to the whole world. Um, it's it, it was cool like getting to start from a blank slate and figuring out how to do all this, and you're you're bouncing around between two very different solutions, um, for the both of them. But yeah. again, the the end the end goal is we want to show people we want to show you everything yeah. for as much as we possibly can. Um, and I think we've done a pretty good
0: job so far. Yeah. Honestly, it's the uh, it shows, I think. I think. I think a lot of people engage. We've had crazy numbers with the people that have tuned in and I think I think that really shows that the people are interested in this stuff. And yeah. I think that's exciting too that people really are interested in this stuff. I want to jump to questions now. Um, we've talked a lot about uh, commercial crew and and got the inside scoop of what's going on. Uh, so let's dive back into the questions. Thanks, because we got we got a lot of them actually. Uh, since since we've uh, started talk, talking again, so this once from Brad who's asking when media will be allowed back for in person news conferences. So this is this is due to COVID. We've been doing remote.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, the the short answer is hopefully soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to be following all of the CDC guidance and everything else that the entire federal government uh, is mandated to follow. We're we're not going to do it until we can make sure that we're keeping everybody safe. Um, Things are obviously loosening up a little bit more now. We're able to, if you're fully vaccinated, uh, do a couple more things on site, uh, mm-hmm. which is why Gary and I aren't wearing masks. Right, yeah. Um, and so I think if things continuing to trend good, we still see good vaccination rates and caseloads going down. Um,
0: hopefully soon. I, I couldn't give you a date because it'd be wrong, but hopefully soon. Sure. All right, this next one's from Anita. Uh, she's asking, or she's saying, I love the show, the highlight of my Friday every week. Thank you, Anita. Uh, Will the podcast ever be recorded in space one day, do you think? Yeah. Um, I would really love to record a podcast in space. So, if you would like that, please let us know because I'll I'll go. I don't think it's in our budget to send Gary <laughs> to space for oh. an episode. But <laughs> we have had guests from space. You and I did one. We got to talk to Jack Fisher. Yeah, that was
1: fun. The the most excited astronaut in history.
0: <laughs> he was he was really fun to talk to. We had a, I think yeah. it was like a, how we set it up was we we got on and we were just chatting about. Just life and space ahead of the, a downlink call, which we do every once in a while. We get downlinks and we talk with schools, universities, media, whatever. Um, but this one, we got to chat with Jack Fisher, and he was such an awesome guest. Um, he between every question, he went on a different wall. If you remember, <laughs> yeah, he just spontaneously said, yeah. "I'm
1: gonna flip walls uh, every single time you guys ask me <laughs> questions." So he was just kind of <laughs> rotating around like a clock. He was great. He was he was so much fun.
0: Uh, we did another one too, where we talked about photography and, and just the perspective they had. Uh, so we got that's I got four astronauts that were on board at the same time. Um, I think Vandehei was one of them. Yeah. Vandehei was one of my guests who I got to interview a number of times. I think I've interviewed him four times, once from space, so uh, for, for the podcast, which is pretty cool. So yeah, uh, but if you want me to me to go, please let us know. Uh, we got another one from Calvin, who's asking, uh, what made you come up with space to ground short format? This is our short. A uh, weekly video we put on YouTube, two minutes, and we talk about the highlights from that week. Kind of a compressed version, very compressed version of what Space Station Live used to be. Yeah,
1: and that was that was part of what it was when yeah. the decision was made to... That, that came out initially when we were going to shorten Space Station Live, but one thing you would do every single Friday on Space Station Live is you would give a recap of the whole week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the Space Station PAO at the time, Josh Byerly, um, came up with Space to Ground uh, and it's been like one of our staple products for for years now um where it's kind of short compact um the producer for it right now dexter herbert uh, has done an incredible job just Mm -hmm. kind of keeping the look fresh uh and working in uh and we've been doing it all remote during covid um and so all of our hosts have done an incredible job just you know filming it in their own homes uh and then dex uh, editing everything together, but it's it is that kind of that weekly bite size. Um, we we really like it's a lot of fun to make. I still crash the show uh, every <laughs> every Christmas to give myself an excuse to buy a new ugly Christmas sweater. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun, and um, yeah, it was just it was another it was one of the ways that we thought we can kind of more effectively tell people what's happening on the station this week.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one more from Roger Weiss, another name we don't recognize. Name we don't know. Um, hey, Rog, uh, any plans to record interviews at other NASA centers? During during COVID, actually, we've same thing, as space to ground where all of our hosts are remote. Um, we record all of our guests remote. That's what we've been doing since since um, COVID, and uh, because of that, we've been having all, all of our interviews over the phone, which really broadens our reach. So lately, we've been talking with a bunch of people from a bunch of different NASA centers. I got some episodes coming up. We're talking with interns um, Mm. from. It's going to be me and interns from three different NASA centers all at the same call. Um, So that provides a lot of different flexibility. Absolutely, Uh, we did one, another one early on was when we did with uh, NASA in Silicon Valley. That's just another podcast, and we did that one uh, remote. I was with Shane Kimbrough at the time, just Mm. me and him uh, in the studio in the booth actually. Uh, we both had two microphones, and we were talking with the the host and a guest over there, over at Ames Research Center. So we're able to do it remote, um, um, which is which is pretty nice. I haven't gone over to another center though to record that. Yeah, and kind of like
1: Silicon Valley, there are. There are podcasts at other centers now. Mm-hmm. Um, the the, po- the The podcast revolution kind of swept through <laughs> swept through NASA. I think Silicon Valley was the first one, and then yep. you guys started this one. We and, were second. Yep. Um, I know there's Rocket Ranch out at KSC, and there's think, Gravity Assist out of NASA headquarters. So that that's one of the things to remember is we we obviously talked about human spaceflight a lot. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to NASA, uh, whether it's robotic missions or uh, aeronautics, just really out there physics and just yeah. fundamental science and stuff and so there there's probably if there's some other aspect of nasa that that we're not hitting on since we kind of tend to focus on the human spaceflight. there's probably a, a nasa podcast out there that you can listen to <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna scratch that itch
0: on that i got i got one more poll for our audience and so um this one is about topics so of all of the our we have a podcast topics that we've had which one interests you most. So I got Mars, space station, science, engineering, astronauts are the ones that I have listed, but if you have another topic that is of interest to you, life sciences or you know bi- different biology, microbiology, whatever it may be, put it in the comments. Um, that's, what's nice about the podcast, as you were saying, you know, we, we do human space flight, but we kind of broaden it a little bit more. And then there's other NASA podcasts that go into maybe different astronomy or what's going on at different NASA centers. So, so we got a little bit of everything, which is nice. All right. Um, going back to commercial crew, uh, and our coverage for a second, actually going beyond commercial crew, I kind of wanted to end with this is, um, commercial crew, I mean, what what you have been helping to do and helping lead the charge to do is is do things a little bit differently. Now we're pulling in uh, SpaceX and Boeing to come with us and tell this story of, of human spaceflight, but things are changing. We have private astronauts going to the International Space Station soon. We're going to be going to the moon. And we we both talked about how excited we are about Artemis missions, but that's all going to change how we do our mission commentary and how we tell these different stories. So what are you looking forward to most?
1: Yeah, it's I think i said it in a meeting the other day it's kind of it's kind of a double-edged sword um where Mm. there's all of this new stuff coming up and so that's really exciting you're you're gonna be constantly kind of reinventing and figuring out new things and trying new things at the same time you don't ever really get a breather where you can just kind of you know let's just keep doing this this kind of show for a while like there's always that pressure or really that necessity to change how you're covering something. Because, uh, I mean, you mentioned private astronauts. We're, we're figuring that all out right now. Because they'll be going to the space station, so we're involved. But they're not NASA astronauts launching, and it's not a NASA mission. Um, so we just have to continue to evolve You know how we're going to. But at the same time, it's a critical step in the commercialization of low earth orbit, which Mm -hmm. is what we've been pushing so hard with space station for years now. And it's really the cornerstone of making that possible. So we obviously have a vested interest in it really. Anytime there's human space flight, we're a fan of it. Um, And so how else can we kind of help cover that and augment it and, you know, really help tell the story. And then Artemis is Artemis is going to be just kind of another complete reinvention Um, I'm really excited for that just because And our, our previous NASA administrator, Jim Bridenstine would talk about this a lot where you have multiple generations living on planet earth that did not experience the first moon landing that it's, it's black and white footage or it's a textbook article for us. Um, and when you, you look at the numbers of just how many people tuned in and how just pivotal a moment it's it stands out in the history of engineering and just human achievement Mm -hmm. we're going back to do that again we're we're taking that big leap again and so we better really have our stuff together uh to bring the whole world along with it and so i'm really excited for kind of the new kind of technologies out there as we can make cameras smaller and you know increase resolution i i'm I understand everybody. We're still at 720p for a lot of stuff. We're we're working on it, um, and 4K is definitely in our future because a moment like that deserves that. A moment like that deserves to be seen and experienced in just the best way possible, and given to as many people as we could ever possibly reach. Um, and so, tackling those challenges is gonna be it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be hard because. It's, it's never as easy as just stick a camera on a spacecraft and point an antenna back at Earth. Um, every single pound that goes to the moon is worth a lot of money and a lot of fuel. Um, you don't have an unlimited data plan when you're sending stuff back and forth from the moon. And believe it or not, 4K video eats up a lot of bandwidth. Um so I mean there's challenges out there but the the cool thing is like we're having those discussions right now. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about how the heck are we going to do this. And it's not something that's you know way off in the future like we need to have those meetings now
0: or we're not going to be able to do it. And so that's what's really exciting. Dan you're very passionate about telling this story, right? And that's what our job is. Our job is to tell that story it's yeah. to it's to it's to give that people what they are expecting which is beautiful pictures of the moon when we return um, it, it's to it's to tell stories in these we talked about space to ground we're doing a podcast we're we're doing everything we can to share what we're doing and and involve as many people as possible so when when you think about NASA's directive to reach out to the widest practicable practicable audiences which is our always it's our charter um, and and our passion for doing it. What really drives you to tell stories, to do things differently, to reach, reach wider audiences? Well,
1: it's it really hits home when, especially, and that's one of the things that social media has been so great for. When you see who it is that's watching. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to, to kind of grasp that when you're in the moment, because I mean, when, when we're doing this right now, when we're, when we're covering a launch or something, it's me and like maybe a couple of other people in a room and that's it. But with the advent of social media, you get a constant stream of this person checking in from Germany, this person checking in from India, you know, it's the entire world will, will be tuning in. Um, and so when you have that kind of instant feedback, that, oh wow, like all of these people are paying attention, it it helps kind of light the fire under you yeah. um, to, to really do as much as you possibly can to, to make it a great show, to make it something that people want to watch uh, and are excited and inspired by.
0: Well, Dan, this has been awesome to have you on and talk about your passion for communication and just all the work you did to, to make, you know, to reach wider audiences and get them excited about what we're doing. So I appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Yeah,
1: thanks. Um, it's... Like I said, we, we did episode one, like 10
0: feet over there at a (laughs) a
1: tiny little table and two (laughs) microphones, never knowing what it would turn into. Uh, here's episode 200. Um, and I'm so impressed. Like you guys have done an incredible job. And
0: this is this is your baby, so <laughs> we're really proud of you, Gary. <laughs> well, I wasn't fishing for that, but thank you, Dan. That does you mean got a lot. Okay. No, I, I I do appreciate it, and, and thanks to you for, for watching. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, sending in your questions and engaging with us. This really did mean a lot to the both of us to do something special for the two hundredth episode of Houston. We have a podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. Give us a rating. Give us some feedback on uh, on Facebook and on our wherever we are: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. And uh, we hope you'll tune in next time. See you then. Actually, to Hey, thanks for sticking around. I really had a fun time recording this live, answering questions, and of course, having Dan on again to chat about the podcast and about all the great work that he's done. I hope you follow us. We're on nasa.gov slash podcasts, and we're one of many podcasts across the whole agency that you can follow and uh, check out some of our content. Uh, You can follow us also on social media. We're on the Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to talk to us, you can use the hashtag AskNASA on any one of those platforms, submit an idea for the show, and just make sure to mention it's for us. At Houston, we have a podcast. This episode was recorded live on June 8th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, Dane Turner, and the technical team for coordinating the Facebook Live, and Chelsea Bayarte for coming up with the live idea and supporting our efforts. Thanks again to Dan Hewitt for taking the time to come on the show and for his support throughout the years. And of course, thanks to you, the listener, for engaging with us and for your feedback that allows us to keep providing this content to you. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.